Hello. This is Rocco Pisserci. I am with I'm on the Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller show. And I hope <laughs> to keep it real tonight. Let's keep it one hundred, brother. I will try. If if you can't keep <laughs> me real, I don't know if anyone else can. Hey man, you always keep it real, man. It's it's it's, it's nice to have you on the show and uh under your own platform. Uh, folks, we just want to welcome you guys to uh, Last Sundays uh, with Rocco P, uh, sponsored by Miller Marketing and Media, KRP Radio. Uh, this is something, this is a show that Rocco Pesercia is going to do every last Sunday of the month, and uh, he has quite the topics lined up. Uh, and, and Rocco, if you, if you would, you know, the floor is yours. I'm going to do more co-hosting and you know, whenever you like my opinion, I'll definitely be here to help. And we've got producers on to help as well tonight. So uh, the topic and the floor is yours, my brother. Thanks. Thanks. Just give a little background. It seems when I've talked to certain friends that have become politically motivated, both including both uh, believers like Pudgy and I, those who have trusted Christ as Savior, as well as people that aren't uh, professing believers in the Lord Jesus. Uh, it seems like there's always something, there may be one event or a series of events that gets them activated, that makes them politically motivated and politically active, as far as real activists, I mean, meaning people that aren't uh, you know, frauds. Uh, and for me, uh, I started thinking differently a couple of years after 9-11-01, when we had the greatest terrorist attack in our nation's history. I started to see these changes. I saw... You know, there started to be travel restrictions in the airports. Uh, they took away the metal detectors, which were, or most of them were taken away, very effective. And uh, they really started treating us to travel as if, uh, you know, we were uh, guilty until proven innocent. And a lot of legislation was passed then. There's a slew of legislation. They, the Department of Homeland Security was basically created uh, on paper before 9-11, then they rolled it out, very similar to the Patriot Act that was written before 9-11, then they had rolled it out. And one of the reasons certain people like uh, then-Congressman Ron Paul did not vote for the Patriot Act is he simply said, I did not have time to read it, which is a very good reason. Uh, you don't vote for legislation if you don't know what's in it. So we had all these events happening, and then at the same time, while there was more restrictions upon our liberties in the states. You know, we had these travel restrictions. We had really you know, this Department of Homeland Security, which is you know, a federal police force to, that's aimed at us. It's really aimed at the people. Uh, at the same time, the border, to this day, the border with Mexico remains unsecured. And a lot of people will play the left-right game, and I used to be there. I used to, you know, think pretty, pretty much. Not always. I'd think, you know, Republican good, you know, Democrat bad. But then I started to look at what happened. A lot of the policies that were promoted, a lot of laws that were passed during those eight years of George W. Bush. I had voted for him in in the year 2000. All this stuff's going on in the border was never secured. So I asked myself a question. I don't know how many times. If this war on terror is real, you know why? Why are the borders still open? Why is the border unsecured to Mexico? You know, with Mexico, why is that still happening? Because you figure this: if this notion of the war on terror was legitimate, meaning if it was, if it was valid, if if there really could be a war on terror. And now, in retrospect, I reject that notion because not only can't you legally declare war on ideology. You look at the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, Congress has to declare war. Okay, That hasn't happened since Romania with World War II. That was the last country the U.S. declared war against, World War II. Every military conflict the United States has been involved with after World War II has been illegal. So this whole idea of the war on terror, you can't really legally declare war on a concept or a tactic, whether you view terrorism as a concept. It isn't like we could go to every dictionary and, and you know, black out the word terrorism, and you can't stop the tactic from being used. Terrorists, by definition, are not state actors. War involves a nation state, one nation state going to war against another. So 
I started thinking about all these things, the nature of war. But the thing, again, that really bothered me is I saw the restrictions upon our liberties. And basically people were saying, both Republicans and Democrats, in essence, they were saying, you're going to have to give up some of your liberty to get more security. And I came to the conclusion that that is that's a complete and total lie. That's a misrepresentation. That is not accurate. We do not need to give up any of our liberty to get any of our security. And I do believe I came to the conclusion that the war on terror was a hoax because if it was real, if, they, if it was really all about keeping us safe, you and I, the people, the people safe, the first thing they would have done was to secure that border with Mexico. And here we are now approaching, not yet in November, at the uh, October 26, 2014, we had eight years of a Republican in the White House. When initially George W. Bush was president, there's Republican control of the Congress. They never secured the borders. Okay, Now we have a Democrat in the White House in his second term. Democrats initially controlled, well, now they still control the Senate. The border's not secured. So I started to think very differently over time. I studied the constitutions. I studied history, especially U.S. history, I started to realize they're pretty much giving us a line with this left versus right stuff. It's, it's pretty much concocted. It's artificial. It's fake. And by that, I mean that there are differences among the parties in terms of the issues, but they're not real differences. In other words, the difference is, is it's a matter of form over substance. They want to, they keep us in this little box, say, okay, well, no one really votes for anyone. Very. Let me explain that. No one votes for anyone. You have this race now between Tom Tillis, Speaker of the NC House, versus Kay Hagan. She's the incumbent Democratic Center. This is a classic example of a false choice. A false choice mm-hmm. is really no choice, where they talk about differences that are really minimal, and the bottom line is, the package is different. The words are different. The rhetoric, that's a neat word. The rhetoric's different. But at the end of the day, it's very, very similar. Tom Tillis, the Speaker of the House, he had the power. They could have stopped the implementation of Obamacare in North Carolina. They did not do that. Tom Tillis has been involved in pushing through these uh, public-private partnerships, as is uh, Governor McCrory, Republican, meaning this is really crony capitalism, a public-private partnership. We have now, under Tom Tillis's uh, direction, we have the first foreign-owned toll road. Papers have been signed. It's going to go up in Mecklenburg County, owned by a Spanish company, Centra. So you, know, you talk about the expansion of uh, Medicare. Again, Tillis just flip-flops. So all these things, I mean, it's, they, they trick us. So the border never being secured got me to rethink, you know, what is the real, what's the real political reality? So I studied the Constitution a bit. I studied history, and I ended up, some people will throw around the term libertarian, and it, it's difficult for me. I, I hate to use a label unless you define it. And all that means different things to different people, but to me it essentially means some people will talk about the non-aggression principle, that as individuals uh, the state should not use uh, initiate force against someone unless it's defensive, if that makes sense. But a lot of the, really a concept of libertarianism is that the view of government is the classical view, a classical liberal view, unlike a neoliberal view that we hear today, that you hear on MSNBC and the Democratic Party. The classical liberal view is that the purpose of government is to secure and protect the individual's rights. But now that's been inverted. It's really it's twisted. Now they're saying government has to exist to really uh, take away individuals' rights incrementally to give us this idea of collective rights. And this is why when we see things, what happened at UNC Chapel Hill, you look at the philosophy, you know, people talk about this big academic scandal. Okay, They knew about this in UNC. This illustrates a lot of what's going on behind the scenes. They knew about this back in 2012. 2012. They had done an investigation, and they found then that in the Afro-American Studies Program, the African-American Studies Program, there's a whole lot of fraud going back. This is back in, in 2012 again. They said there were more than 50 classes, and the department chair knew about it. You know, people, uh, it was either fake classes where you know, either nothing was done or the work wasn't graded properly. So then when, when the, the full study came out, and then they knew, okay, when the full study comes out, it was a lot bigger than they thought. But you go behind the scenes again, 
and I'm not just beating up the athletes. Athletes were largely involved. It wasn't them exclusively. But we have to ask some fundamental questions. What is the purpose of Afro-American studies? Okay, where do we get where do we get Afro-American studies? Where did we get Latino studies? Where did we get women's studies? And a lot of these academic disciplines, so to speak, these are the results of cultural anthropology and sociology. And it's really, it all comes down to cultural Marxism, cultural Marxism. The, the more expedient or popular label for cultural Marxism is political correctness, political correctness. A lot of people will joke when they say, oh, well, yeah, that's PC. They think, well, yeah, that's, that's just it's something you don't really have to be concerned about. I mean, it, it's, it's annoying, but it's just something funny that you can discard. But when you understand what's going on, we have people working overtime. People have thought this through, intellectuals and the elite. And what they want to do is radically change society. They want to do that. Now, traditional literal Marxism, okay, a lot of people know more. They're, they're more familiar with what literal Marxism was as opposed to cultural Marxism or political correctness. Marx himself, one to view Karl Marx, viewed everything in terms of class conflict, okay, class conflict. So he says, you know, the proletariat uh, was there. They're going against the bourgeoisie. In other words, everything he's seeing during the Industrial Revolution, he was saying the factory workers are oppressed by those that own the means of production and distribution. So they have to organize a class and overthrow that social order. Okay. Now, he pushed this idea of collectivist, collectivist rights. I really like the phrase collectivism instead of Marxism because Marxism, you know, people will put that in terms of left-right as where collectivism is really the ruling or the ruling political philosophy was on in both parties. They, they both believe the power of the state should be expanded over the individual. We see that in numerous ways. We see that in education. You know, Marx believed, one of his planks, is that he believed in this idea of free public education. Free public education. Most of the state, of the state constitutions like North Carolina, they have it right in there. Okay, they talk and the language is even very similar to what's literally in the Communist Manifesto. The tenth plank of the Communist Manifesto says free education for all children in public schools. The idea of a public school is a government school. So there's, there's been a lot of horrific consequences of that this has been enshrined in America. Been uh, it's been going on close started about a hundred years ago. A lot of this. So here's another buzzword: progressivism. Progressivism should not be equated with just someone who's politically liberal or the Democratic Party. Teddy Roosevelt, okay, turn of the century president, was Republican. He was a progressive. He was a progressive. A lot of the changes when they start thinking about government education, that's when the changes start to take place. Now, philosophically, I'd always be opposed to the government being involved in education because there's always an agenda. In other words, there's never going to be a classroom, there's never going to be a school that's taught that doesn't have a worldview that's involved. Okay, so That's why yeah, I advocate for, you know, for Christians, if anyone can, not to use the public schools, if you can. The ideal, I mean, the best thing to do would be to homeschool. I realize everyone can't do that. But if you could, you have the best control of what goes on in your own house. And I think you can make that case pretty clear. But if the government is controlling the school, okay, it's this idea of collectivism. It's really bad if the government's involved at all. But what makes it horrific is the fact that they do that through confiscatory taxation. In other words, they force us to pay taxes for schools whether or not you use them. And that goes back to traditional Marxism again. The first plank said of Mar the Communist Manifesto says the abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. So you get that. That was from the Communist Manifesto, a abolition of property and land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. So here we are in the United States today. And what happens if you don't pay the property tax on your home or the property tax on your business? Okay. You may have, you may own you know, your home. Uh, there may be no mortgage. You may own your business outright. It could be a large business. If you don't pay property tax, the state seizes it. Okay. And this is this is a Marxist or a collectivist concept. Now, even though I'd, I would always oppose the government being involved in education, if they did it on a profit basis, in other words, if they didn't collect you know, a dime of confiscatory taxes, if they charged 
tuition and had to compete with private schools, that to me that would be more acceptable. I still don't think they should do it, but the free market would take care of itself. In other words, the schools that didn't perform would go away. But now it's it's just the waste will never go away. There's even some studies that show no matter how much you pay, no matter how much no matter how much the tax burden is that they extort from us for public schools, the education never gets better. Case designed to dumb us down. The model we have now, K through twelve, it was a Prussian model. It came through Prussia that was before Germany became a nation state, it was largely Germany. And again, this came out around the same idea, roughly the time when Marx was around. And this notion, this Prussian view of education, which now we've adopted here, this K through 12 stuff, it was designed specifically to produce obedient factory workers. That's the Prussian model of education. So some people have said, you know, schools are slave training. I think that's that's very true. And uh, you know, there's a lot of studies that have been out there. You could show that. Uh, the studies they've done with homeschooling versus the government school counterparts. In general, just in general, uh, the homeschool child is one to three years above the public school counterpart, the government school counterpart, regardless of the educational level of the mother. So that just blows away so much of the theory, this idea that with the state involved, you have a state school, you have state licensing of teachers, and you know what's the result? Many, I shouldn't say many, some homeschoolers too have gotten into college at at 16 years old, some I mean, earlier, some of them have completed college by the time they're 18. So when you see, when, when you get into this true free market idea, cut out the government, it's always going to be a higher quality to everything. But again, back to Afro-American studies, it's not just that, okay? All this is designed, this is all the brainchild, the, the thought idea, the social engineering behind all this stuff is to divide us. It's to divide us, okay? It's not just Afro-American studies, okay? You ha- they have Latino studies. They've got women's studies. There's Asian studies. And again, all this stuff flows out of cultural anthropology and sociology. Now, there is no free market forces that make these academic disciplines exist, okay? They, they don't. So in other words, it wouldn't be like one day someone in business says, you know, we could really grow this business if we had, you know, four or five PhDs in in Latino studies. Yeah, you know, we, we would really take off. No, it's all the only reason they exist is they they use public funds for education. The academics are in their own world, and then they just perpetuate it, self-perpetuating. So you get you get educated in Latino studies or women's studies or Afro-American studies, and if you get the highest degree, all you can basically do is continue to share that propaganda, what you've been taught in another artificial environment in an academic school. Again, this is, there's no, if there's no public funding for education, of course, in the U.S., in the federal constitution, there's no role for education. So all federal funds for education is wrong. That's why it drives me crazy to talk to any state legislature, especially Republicans, and they'll talk the game that they believe in smaller government. They believe in less government. And you say, okay, well, you took an oath to uphold the federal constitution as well as the state constitution. They say, yes, I did. Okay. Well, then, sir, tell me, why do you accept federal funds for education in state when there is no constitutional authority for education? Next question, please. Mm. Now, they, don't, they don't even want to talk about that because it's so ingrained <laughs> upon them. Some people, some guys, you laugh. I mean, some guys uh, are just ignorant. I mean, I was ignorant. Uh, until I looked at all that stuff, but others are more wicked, and they know the system is designed to break us down. But this whole idea of of political correctness and cultural Marxism, it's designed. They looked at society and said, "Okay, we're not we're not going to have this uh, we're not going to have this class of society. You know, the, the workers aren't going to rise, and through different economic reasons, obviously, there's less and less factories in the states, which is a sad thing. I mean, they they could fix that. That's their that's incrementally are taking away the middle class in a lot of ways. But the cultural Marxist says, okay, so that's not going to happen. Cultural, you know, we're not going to have this workers' revolt. But to get the class aside, but what we can do is we can destroy the current social order. And the way we'll do that is through perpetuating these academic disciplines that exist primarily to divide us and cause animosity and hatred. 
That's what it's all about. I mean, we have one of the beautiful things about classical liberalism, talk about libertarianism or classical liberalism, is that, again, this is what's reflected in, in the, uh, the U.S. Constitution, especially in the Declaration of Rights, that the idea that rights are unalienable. They're God-given. You don't believe in God. You have them naturally because you're a human being. Our rights do not flow from the state. The state should recognize the fact that we do have these natural or God-given rights. So you fast forward to today, the cultural Marxists, the people in political correctness, some of them, again, you know, someone gets a Ph.D. in Asian studies, they may not realize it, but all they're doing is working to destroy the current social order. That's what it's all designed to do. So a lot of people look at, you know, why is the level, why is the charge of racism, you know, almost constantly, incessantly leveled against any criticism of Obama, okay? And it'd be convenient to say, okay, it's because he's black, and of course, you know, he's he's biracial, due, due respect to the memory of his mother, but, yeah, he's, you say he's black. It's not just that. If Obama wasn't in the White House, there's always going to be those charges. And a lot of the people loving, that, that make those charges know they're fallacious. They know they're false. But they're designed, again, to divide us. We have our rights as individuals. Okay, So that means a black person, an Asian person, a man or a woman. No, no, one, no one has extra rights. But, again, the cultural Marxists, the people that believe in political correctness, say, you know, the score has to be settled. You know, this past grievances, uh, there was slavery in the states. Woman didn't vote once. So, you know, they're not saying what the real goal is. The real goal is to destroy the current social order. So all these academic disciplines, uh, whether you know, you're actually doing a paper in Afro-American studies, whether you know, or even if it's not fake, all these disciplines exist to divide us. They want to destroy the current social order. And and I got a confession for you there, Pudgy. When I was in college, I did take mm-hmm. a class in Afro-American studies. And you know why I did? <laughs> you know why I did? Why is that? I heard it was an easy A, and it was. Damn. It was very easy A. It was two, it was two tests, and he told us what the questions were going to be. And I, I, think it was, I think there was like three white people in the class. There was probably 50 people. And it was yeah. funny. I remember one guy right before the final said, hey, man, could you give me your notes? Because he didn't go into any classes, and I did. But uh, that was it. It was, uh, it was basically two. If it was an open book test, he told us beforehand. But it was the easiest day I ever got. But I didn't succumb to the, pre- to the total temptation. I was not an Afro-American studies major, but I did take one class. Wow. Right now, UNC is under a lot of a lot of trouble over this right now, man, with, with Afro American studies and paper courses and oh yeah, things like oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were they were on to that guy. They were on to him back two years ago. I think he was an African national, Julius Julius Nagain Oro. Didn't look it up. The, my, my teacher was for he was an African national. Uh, I think his last name was Kakomo. But, yeah, it goes beyond just that guy. They they let that guy resign. He should have been fired. But you look at the size of that, of uh, of the uh, of the department, I think they've got about seven professors. <laughs> and, again, let, let me what ask are you they something. doing? Yeah. Let, let, me, let me ask you, brother, is sure. what's the purpose of an Afro-American studies course what is the purpose of it right that's that's a great question again my answer you probably know what i'm going to say before i say it is the true answer is that it's it's a fraud it's a charade just like women's studies just like latino studies just like asian studies it's a fraud that the cultural marxists are using to divide us so they just want to perpetuate racial tension, they want to perpetuate social disorder and disruption because they want to destroy the current social order. That's the real reason. Uh, they would give you some other reason that it's, there would always be some type of social justice. It, it's kind of like hate It's kind of like hate crimes, too, where the idea, again, that's something that they have set up to just divide us. Okay, If someone kills someone because they want to rob them, that's not, I mean, that's not good, but that's not as bad. But if someone kills someone 
because allegedly it was racially motivated, then that's that's in a completely different category. And that person who's dead, they're dead in a worse way. I mean, it, it's ludicrous. But they do this again just to divide us. I mean, I went to the, I went to the Department of Justice site when I was preparing preparing for a night. Okay, and this is what they say: hate crime is. Hate crime is a violence of intolerance and bigotry intended to hurt and intimidate someone because of their race, ethnicity, national origin, religious, sexual orientation, or disability. The purveyors of hate use explosives, arson, weapons, vandalism, physical violence, and verbal threats of violence to instill fear in their victims, leaving them vulnerable to more attacks and feeling alienated, helpless, suspicious, and fearful. So right there, they not only say, okay, this is this is the motor for it, but they actually to me this is this is true mind control. They're saying when this type of crime happens, they even know the results that it causes. It causes a certain fear in the victims and that particular so in other words if someone robs you but it wasn't racially motivated, you wouldn't necessarily be afraid of you know, being in the same place again at that time. But if they did wow. it for racial reasons, then that's going to inflict fear. And, and this is really great as far as the cultural Marxism, this statement DOJ said. said others may become frustrated and angry if they believe the local government and other groups in the community will not protect them. When perpetrators of hate are not prosecuted as criminals and their acts not publicly condemned, their crimes can weaken even those communities with the healthiest race relations. The reverse is really just true because the fact is – if we treated everyone as an individual, realizing that our rights are, are, are God-given as individuals, and that means we have protection against our prop, someone shouldn't violate our property, someone shouldn't violate our person, uh, that's good. You, know, you basically protect everyone as an individual. But when you make it a hate crime and you want to you basically plant the seed then of doubt into someone. You want to create racial animosity so then people always wonder then if that white cop shot someone who was black. Yeah, maybe it wasn't just because he was robbing someone. Maybe it was racially motivated. So the whole idea of hate crime again plays into the cultural Marxism. It's a manifestation. They want to divide us. They want to cause racial disharmony. They want to break down the current social order. That's what it's all about. So none of these academic disciplines, I mean, in my mind, they're all completely bogus. There's no market forces that would drive any. There's no market demand for someone to major in, in Latino studies or women's studies. It, it's completely ludicrous. But when you realize what, what the mindset is, when you realize the philosophy, if you're an elitist and you want to destroy the current social order, one way you do that is to constantly and, and just incessantly try and divide us by race, try and divide people by sex. Do it all the time. Because you're not going to wake up, you're not going to be, you're still going to be black tomorrow, I'm still going to be white tomorrow. So they know there's certain okay. things, you know, woman will still be woman, even though there's the, you know, that minority of sexual people that, you know, will become transgender and they have special rights now. But they know people are always <laughs> going to be different. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, they're out there. People are always going to be different, so they're going to play on that and say, well, Let's 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 create animosity, and uh, again, in, in the broader perspective too, all this this breaks down the family, and as you well know, when the family breaks down, it's not a vacuum. What institution becomes more powerful? The state, the state, and this is what we're living through. Man, six one nine six three eight eight five five nine. You are tuned in to WM3G's last Sunday. With host Rocco Pesercia and co-host me. Forgot myself all ago, man. B.I.G. Shout out to everybody out there. Make sure you guys get your hashtags. L-S-W-R-P. Look for it, man. We out there every last Sunday. Host Rocco Pesercia is going to come on and give you nothing but the raw truth. And a little bit of information that I'm sure you don't know. This man digs in the crates. For all my DJs out there, shout out to my DJs. When you talk about digging in the crates, the DJs know what I'm talking about. We got to go to a commercial, but when we come back, Rocco, we got a question for you. Okay. Why isn't there a Caucasian American studies course at the major universities in America? Looking at Harvard University, they offer an an African American studies course, but they don't offer a Caucasian American studies course. So we want to hear your take on that and more when we come back from this commercial break. You're rocking with last Sunday's with host 
Rocco P. will be right back after these messages. It is my mission to create brand stories for you that push the envelope, force people to stop, think, and take notice. Ride with you on your journey to success by creating great design that makes you look like the originator and not an imitator. Get you out of your comfort zone. Inspire you to take action. Be risky and always stay true to your passion. Tiffany Inc. is located in Los Angeles, California. Tiffany Inc. specializes in designs, creative brands for the entertainment, fashion, beauty, and food industry. Some past and present clients include Jill Osco, J&K Fresh LLC, Celebrity Chef Nikki Shaw, Teen and Family Producer Doreen Spencer, the National Association of Veterans, the Alzheimer's Association, and a host of fantastic others. To contact Tiffany Inc., all you have to do is log on to www.tiffanywithaniinc.com. TiffanyInc.com 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism. One out of every 110 children born today will be diagnosed with autism. If you have any questions or need support, we can help. The Autism Society of North Carolina can be reached at 800 442 Again, that's 800-442-2762. Remember, 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism, and one out of every 110 children born will be diagnosed with autism as well. If you need to reach them by the web, the address is www.autismsociety-nc.org. You can also reach them on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach them on YouTube. Love somebody today. talked about Blue Streak. I love it. He played a role in your life, I believe. How do you feel about him as a person, as an artist? Martin Lawrence is the guy that showed everybody you can make it from D.C. to Hollywood. And uh, I had a personal stake in his success. Every time he did something, it made me feel inspired and really good. And he was always real nice to me. He'd sit me down, what's going on with you, baby boy? What, what? Talk about comedy, whatever. And, uh, you know, when we did Blue Streak, we were promoting it, and Martin had a stroke. He almost died. And then after that, I saw him, and I was like, oh, my God, Martin, are you okay? And he said, I got the best sleep I ever got in my life. That's how tough he is. So let me ask you this. What is happening in Hollywood that a guy that tough will be on the street waving a gun, screaming, they are trying to kill me? Yeah. What's going on? Why is Dave Chappelle going to Africa? Why does Mariah Carey make a $100 million deal and take clothes off on TRL? A weak person cannot get to sit here and talk to you. Ain't no weak people talking to you. So what is happening in Hollywood? Nobody knows. The worst thing to call somebody is crazy, is dismissive. I don't understand this person, so they're crazy. That's bullshit. These people are not crazy. They're strong people. Maybe the environment is a little sick. Welcome back to Last Sundays with host Rocco P. That was an excerpt from Dave Chappelle, man, and I think he was kicking a little bit of realism right there, Rocco. Uh, You know, we're going to go back to this question that we asked you before the break. You know, why isn't there 
a Caucasian American studies course. And then I want you to uh, enlighten the folks about that little excerpt from Dave Chappelle that you just heard. In any order, please. Sure. Why is there no Caucasian American or Caucasian studies? That's a good question. <laughs> the The reason is they want to, they want to, again, the goal of cultural Marxism, political correctness. And people in these academic disciplines may not realize it. I mean, they may not realize that a lot of people are just useful idiots, sad to say. I mean, we know there's you know, some very well-educated useful idiots. But the reason it's not there is they want to create this narrative because they want to break down the social order. So they want to blame everything on the white guys. I mean, it's just you know, blame everything on the white guys. So it's not it's there. It's the white man's but the fault. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything. Everything is. So, but th- this is the upshot. If they did add that, I mean, because some people have done that. I remember some people talked about masculinism, and I didn't check to see if uh, they did add men's studies to further divide people. But if they did, the problem would not be solved or improved by adding Caucasian American studies, because that would just further create the illusion of of division and further divide us. So, uh, yeah, again, it, it's a real simple concept, individual rights versus collective rights. We have our rights as individuals. We're creating, the, all of us are creating the image and likeness of God. One of my theology professors used to say there's only one race, the human race. So the original compact, the original way the, the U.S. government was formed, go back to the birthing document, you go back to the Declaration of Independence, if you realize that that idea that our rights are inalienable, okay, come from God, then no one could take them away. Government should recognize them. We have our rights as individuals. Once we, as we move away from that and capitulate to this destructive cultural Marxism, destructive political correctness, we're all going to lose because they're going to bring down the social order. And you can see that... I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Chappelle, but we can see that in the illustration of what happened to Jesse Jackson's mistress. There's a lot of that. That whole incident, you know, reveals a lot about how what people how people view morality and you know what what you know what is social justice, how they deal with people. Chappelle is interesting. You know, I I know a little bit about the guy. I've heard he was he was on to some stuff. And uh, he was an upstart in the social order in Hollywood, and then it was whack-a-mole. They took care of him. But I think he's right. I mean, whenever you say crazy or anything like that, uh, whenever you use a word in, in Christian terms, here's an example. You're debating with a brother about about Christian liberty. You know, someone might say, okay, well, I, uh, you know, I don't go to movies or I don't go to certain movies, this or that. And then if someone disagrees, if someone takes a more tolerant view – then he says, oh, well, that's, you know, you're a legalist. That's legalism. The discussion's over at that point. You just called someone a name, and you just said their view. We seem to have lost uh, Rocco Pesercia. We're going to go to commercial break while we try to get him right back, and uh, we definitely want to get the remainder of what he was saying here. So you folks, make sure you log on 619-638-8559 and uh, try to tune in to the show or log on on com. I guess we got Rocco back right now. Rocco, you got uh, disconnected somehow, sir. Hopefully it wasn't the NSA. I didn't think I was that important. But, uh, <laughs> not, but what Chappelle, you know, I was illustrating the idea when I agree with him, when he says you don't call someone crazy, it's like when a Christian is debating with another about Christian liberty. We have freedom in Christ. Uh, and the purpose of liberty is love. You know, we should be constrained by the law of love as we love one another. But people will view different issues uh, you know, me as a personal choice, you know, I'm done with the NFL. But but when someone, if someone's debating an issue of Christian liberty, Christian to Christian, and and that at one point when someone says, well, because their view is more restrictive, their practice isn't as tolerant, they say, oh, well, you're a legalist. The discussion's over. You just called someone a name, and you said, you know, they're an errand based upon, it's based upon legalism. I mean, literal legalism would say, you're just being saved by law, and except for a cultist like Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, you know, Christians don't don't believe that. So it's nasty, and that ends the discussion. Same thing what Chappelle was saying. You, know, you call someone crazy 
uh, discussion's over then because you're not you're just you're dismissing. You just basically you call them a name. I mean, the, the Latin phrase is great: argumentum ad hominem. You attack the man, you attack the person. You don't attack the argument. And it's a tactic a lot of people use. Sometimes people use it emotionally, but a lot of times it is more sophisticated where if someone's hearing something that they don't like, uh, then uh, that's the way they deal with it. You've probably heard the psychological phrase cognitive dissonance. I mean, you have a lot of facts about something, and you share those facts. You may share them very calmly, uh, very rationally. But it doesn't conform to someone's preconceived notion, like uh, this whole Kay Hagen, Tom Tillis race. A lot of people, a lot of Facebook chatter. I've repeatedly said, yeah, it's basically, it's the same candidate, uh, different form, fit, or function. Yet, in this case, different seat or skirt. Yeah, it's going to be minimal difference in the end. And a lot of people, doesn't matter how much you show them, how much, yeah, what Tillis has done, doesn't matter. The toll roads they support doesn't matter. He tried to destroy small business fishing in North Carolina. It doesn't matter the proven shady business deals with financial connections he's had. Doesn't matter. Yeah, they just they can't. They just block it out. They just they want to vote against someone, and that's one of the reasons practically we're heading into tyranny because no one votes for a candidate anymore. Everyone votes against someone. So I, I think Chappelle is right. You shouldn't say someone's crazy. I mean, hear them out. Maybe they are crazy. But you know, don't call them crazy. You know, explain rationally why what they've said or done is wrong. <laughs> don't label them. Did, did you remember? Said, do you remember? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Do I remember what again? Do, do you remember? Do you remember when the story broke about Jesse Jackson's mistress? Do you remember when that broke back oh, in yeah. 2001? Okay. Oh yeah, it was shortly after he opened his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. I mean, it. Uh, the baby, I think, was 20 months old when the story broke in January 2001, and it was broken by you know, that that excellent magazine, excellent publication, National Enquirer. And yeah. to the best of my knowledge, uh, the woman involved, Karen L. Stanford, she had worked for him. She uh, was director of his uh, Rainbow Push office in D.C. Mm-hmm. She never accepted any money from any of those tabloids, but then, you know, they found out, the story came out. So obviously, I mean, the simple observations here, you have a guy, you know, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, just like the Reverend Al Sharpton. And uh, we could talk about him, time permits, but we have the Reverend Jesse Jackson exposed as a hypocrite. Uh, if a man is going to violate the trust of his wife, then, you know, what does he have to do? You're going you're gonna to trust him with public policy. Uh, no, no, no. He was, he was exposed. But the interesting aftermath of this is that she really Karen Stanford didn't really talk about this in 2008 she did she wrote a book and she started to say how she was ostracized and really castigated by the black community (laughs) for that so here she is I mean you think about how wrong this is not only was he married but as far as the authority structure this was an employee so it's like it's wrong in so many levels, yet she has she comes out and uh, then she gets she gets attacked. This is this is a quote she said at the time. She says, "I was attacked by friends, strangers, and the black press without mercy. My only moral support coming from a few close friends in my family." And you know, in, in 2008 when she wrote that, I don't know what she's doing today. You know what her job was? What's that? Take a guess. Stripper? Of all the things. She, she, I'll give you a hint. She, she's in academia. What? A professor? Yeah. What do you think of job? Yeah, what do you think she is? What do you think she's teaching? African American studies professor. You got it. You got it, man. I gave you a layoff. Are you yeah, serious? You yeah. Wow. She was then president. I don't know if she still is. She was president of Pan African Studies. And check this out African American Politics at the California State University in Northridge. That's what she was. So, uh, But it was wow. interesting. She just talked about how she was criticized. She said, black, another quote, black religious leaders and congregations and congregations prayed for him, Jesse Jackson and his family, but not for our daughter, Ashley and me. And uh, <laughs> she said that, you know, the black media, she uses the phrase black media and black establishment turned on her. They labeled her a political stalker, 
a gold digger and an opportunist. But again, she never made any money from that. So you break this story down, and it's not just the fact that J.C. Jackson is a moral hypocrite and a fraud, and no one no one should buy a pack of gum from him, much less a used car or anything else. Yeah, it's not just that he's a fraud. <laughs> think, you know, think, I, think this through, though. The, the way she was reacted I've, I've to, the, the way they treated that. her. Yeah. Look at that. The way she was treated by the black community. If if all this cultural Marxism, political correctness, if it was all really about social justice, this woman should have been embraced. They should have felt horrible. The fact that this guy prayed in her. Uh, he was married. She wasn't. She worked for him. And it, yeah, they should they should rent support her. But it's all about the power structure again. It's all about breaking things down and causing animosity. So she discredits him, and they realize, hey, we don't have another fake leader to help cause animosity between white and black people, so you're bad. <laughs> it's just all about, man. It's all power. You know, I, I've, I've said a long time, man, I, I found, I used to say about the black community all the time, and, and, it, and it speaks volumes in, in my community, I'll say, but I've noticed that you can't do it in any arena because I found it to be true in in white political circles as well, which is unusual. I'm just really experiencing that uh, in the last four or five years, I'll say. But uh, you cannot rob people of their heroes. Like you can't expose people's heroes. The minute you say something about their quote-unquote heroes, you become the arch nemesis. You become the enemy. Yeah. And no matter what you do for right under God, you're still going to be wrong because you're talking about their hero. And it's an amazing yeah. thing. It's, 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 it's an amazing thing to witness. And you see that with this Tom Tillis thing within the Republican Party, conservative, uh, even libertarians in, in the mix of those individuals who would normally vote Republican. You see the conflict back and forth. Uh, between those people. Yeah, I, I I agree with you to a large extent. I, I would just clarify just a little bit. They do manipulate us, especially in in the political realm, through uh, the emotional appeal and identifying with someone. It's kind of like you know the the uh, you you feel vicarious. You you get emotionally invested in someone. Yeah, same thing in yeah. sports. You get emotionally invested in a player. You get emotionally invested in a leader, and that's true. But you know, with Jesse Jackson, it was just so clear that it was just so off the charts, incredibly immoral. I mean, obviously, he, you know, he's a theological liberal. You talk about Rhino, a Republican name only. I mean, he's a Chino. He's a Christian in name only. I mean, he's apostate. He doesn't believe in the God of the Bible. But, you know, he has the reverend. He has the title. He's ordained by someone somewhere at some time. But uh, for for people to attack her... Uh, when she was clearly wronged, the thing with Tillis, yeah. I think, is a little, is a little more. It's a little more complicated. Tillis has basically, if he loses this election, and I, I've, I of course hope he does because he's a fraud. Because the Republican Party is never going to get better if uh, they keep on uh, nominating and electing frauds. But uh, Tillis has basically thumbed his nose. He's been very arrogant. He hasn't even made token gestures to the grassroots and the Tea Party. Even after he won the primary, one of his advisors was quoted. You ever read Delhi Haymaker? You ever read that? I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Delhi Haymaker, uh, the writer there, he's got a lot of good sources. Uh, he quoted a Tillis associate or worker. It said at, shortly after the primary that Tillis was going to do nothing. He was going to make no gestures. Uh, no, he was going to do anything for the Tea Party or any of the grassroots conservatives in the party because his attitude was, where where are they going to go? They have to vote for me. And that was not only arrogant, but it was foolish because you, know, you have the Libertarian candidate. You probably know North Carolina. The election laws in North Carolina are very oppressive. It's very hard to get recognized as a political party. The Libertarian Party is... I think the Libertarian Party, like the the pig ones, it's largely co-opted. The guy that runs now, Sean Haw, I think yeah, he's he's next to useless. But the point is, there are other choices. I'm going to write in John Rhodes. Uh, he's a believer. He had been involved. He was a dynamic leader in North Carolina General Assembly in the past. There's another guy who's a born-again believer, uh, Dave Waddell, another guy. To get recognized as a writing candidate, they got their 500 signatures, so those guys are writing. There's another guy who's writing, so Barry Gurney. But Tillis made it a point 
to basically uh, totally disrespect the base of the party. So if he pulls it off, it's going to be amazing because I know I've spoken with other people, people who are not, uh, I mean, obviously we both have friends and in and outside the party, and yeah, I'm a Republican, but I'll always be principal first Republican. But the point is, I've talked to people of different types of party, not just people like me that would be more of a libertarian individual liberty bent. And uh, they've expressed to me very clearly. I mean, Tillis had opportunities to speak to groups and people, and uh, didn't have time for it. So uh, yeah, the guy, the guy is terribly arrogant. I mean, if he's this arrogant before he's elected, I mean, I hate to think what he'd be like if he does get into the Senate. <laughs> But yeah, there is. They do manipulate a lot of people with the, with the hero worship. That does happen. I mean, without going into it now, in the context of nice program, I've tried to rationally persuade people about Rand Paul, and that just because his last name is the same as his dad's, it ain't it ain't the same <laughs> product, and uh, people get very upset. <laughs> wow. So you really you, you're not a Ron Paul fan. Uh, I was a Ron Paul fan, but I mean Ron has changed. But I'm not I'm not a Rand Paul fan. I mean, if you want to go there, we could talk about it. Uh, I wanted to beat up Al Sharpton, but uh, no, nah, I I, uh, <laughs> I think Rand I think I think Rand Paul is just another politician. I think he's he's proven it time and time again. I think he's just another politician. He's endorsed just two two points. Uh, he endorsed Susan Collins in Maine. Uh, she had voted for the Patriot Act. She believes in the. Uh, uh, she voted for the National Defense Authorization Act that says any of us can be detained and definitely rescued by the U.S. government without a warrant. Uh, as Lindsey Graham said, the fascist Republican senator from South Carolina, the world is a battlefield, so we're all potential enemy combatants, so any of us could disappear at any time. She voted for that. Uh, she, she, she supports the NSA spying. Rand Paul endorsed her. He came into North Carolina. He not only He just didn't endorse Tom Tillis. He campaigned for him in Raleigh, and then he held a private fundraiser for him. And you know, yeah. Rand, I mean, he's flip-flopped on issues. He's for amnesty. He doesn't say it. But uh, he's basically just regurgitated the same failed Bush guest worker program. Yeah, he's, it's just he, he basically has lied, in my opinion. He said, oh, well, my plan is different because Congress is being involved in the enforcement. It's like right now, today, Congress could fix it. Okay, You could cut off all funding for cities like Durham that are sanctuary cities. Uh, they could shut down all the Mexicans, like 52-odd or more Mexican consulate consulates issue uh, matricular consulate cards. That's what the Mexicans and others, the illegal alien Mexicans, use to open up bank accounts. They could shut down all those Mexican consulates that they know only exist. And there's two in the triangle you probably know. They only exist to perpetuate illegal Im- immigration, illegal aliens living here. Uh, they could pass yeah. a federal law saying, just like in Mexico... In Mexico, the matricular consulate card means nothing. You can't open up a bank account with a matricular consulate card. Congress could pass a law tomorrow and just say, guess what? No banks, no matricular consulate card is not a valid form of identification to open up a bank account in the United States. So I get very upset when Rand Paul, as well as anyone else, but we're talking about him in this case, when they lie and they give the same old lie that, no, 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 we have to pass comprehensive immigration reform we can't secure the borders unless we grant amnesty. I've just, you know, I'm done. I, I just, I, I just don't like it when politicians lie to me, even when I formerly liked their fathers. No, I just, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> even when you formerly liked their fathers. Like uh, man, bad, talking yeah. slick, man. If you guys have just tuned in, you've listened to uh, last Sundays with Rocco P. Make sure you hashtag that on Twitter, man. Hashtag LSWRP. Uh, as the year goes on and, and into next year, uh, we should have a website for this and uh, a home location for you guys to find this show and more information about the host, Rocco Pesercia. But, uh, Rocco, we got two minutes uh, before we end. Are there any uh, pointers that you want to give out before you close the show? Yeah. Remember, when anytime, anytime anyone talks about anything being racially motivated or anything being sexist, yeah, step back look at the situation and say, was someone's rights violated as an individual? Because that's what it comes down to. If someone's robbed or someone's beaten, uh, it's no, it's not worse if it was racially motivated, even if that's proven. So if we just think about things in terms of our individual rights, we have rights that are granted to us by God. The government should protect them. 
if we just see we have a rights as individuals, not because we're part of a class, it makes it makes a lot of things a lot more clear to deal with. It's a lot easier to deal with things. Well, I think it's a lot easier for me to deal with the fact that uh, I have not eaten today and <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> but you know uh, what? You, hey, Rocco, did, I got to give you not you a... eat? Is that the result? Hey, I just one question before we leave. Is the fact you have eaten today, was that racially motivated? That was absolutely racially motivated. Absolutely. <laughs> Because the yeah. white man, let me let me break this down, man. We got less than a minute. The white man don't want me to eat, and and the white man's got me yelling on the football field, and I'm yelling at those kids, and I lost my voice a little bit. But you know that doesn't stop the show. God is good, and I'm alive. Um, so you know it's all the white man's fault. You know that's what I believe. I'm white sorry. man, <laughs> white man invented football. Absolutely. That's right. You're gonna have to deal with that. Yeah. If the white man would not yep. have invented football, my brother. <laughs> My voice would still be good. I would not be yelling, and and life would be golden. Right, reparations, oh, reparations for black football fans. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna see if I can file a lawsuit on that, folks. It's been wonderful, Rocco. Congratulations to you, brother, on the show. And uh, hey, Thank man, you. as time goes on, it gets easier and it gets better. Uh, awesome first show, I think, on the KRP WM3G Network. And um, more power to you, brother. We'll see you next month on the last Sunday. Thank you, and God bless. Take care, brother. We are out of here. Last Sundays with the brother Rocco Pesersi and Rocco P. Check him out on Facebook, Twitter, and you can listen to the top of the show at KIRPRadioShow.com. WM3G's number one real truth, real talk radio show. In the nation That brother just spit a lot of truth You guys gonna have to go back and listen to the show again As I always do Several times upon the, uh, several times through the week So anyway man Keep it real Remember God is love Love is God We'll talk to you guys next week You're out of here Then life's no fun